I think the common theme of these stories is that, um, of course, it's Jesus. Thank you, brother. It's Jesus, and um, the Apostle Paul made a great statement. Thank you, Amory. Um, he made a great statement that um, really was on display here uh, when he was uh, talking about what happened. How are these people different? If you've been baptized, if you've surrendered to Jesus and bowed the knee, as we like to say, the Bible says, how, how, what happens? I mean, we see you, we see you wet, and then what happens? You know, what's next? And uh, the Apostle Paul said this, if anyone, and, and he didn't specify, <laughs> oh, okay, hey, you're a little wet. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. So am I. <laughs> Are there any others? Uh, <laughs> I like that guy. <clears throat> Give him a mint. Um, so, um, you know, if anyone's in Christ, that was the answer every one of them gave, right? If anyone's in Christ, it doesn't specify age. It doesn't specify catechisms or certain... Um, confirmations along the way it doesn't give anything more except that you've come to Jesus right then they are a new <laughs> okay buddy. hi there <laughs> how are we doing back here um, hey, we'll get somebody to help you out probably um, but because you but we're gonna leave the water so when the church is done you can come back and swim Okay? All right. In case you're wondering, the duck is still floating in the back. But if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. Kind of goes with words that uh, Jeremiah said, Ezekiel said, that God doesn't just fix hearts. He replaces them. He takes out a heart of stone, which is everybody, their condition when they come to Christ. It's a heart of stone. I don't know about uh, all that that means, except uh, it doesn't sound like it's alive. A heart of stone sounds cold, stone cold heart, that kind of thing. But the Bible makes a clear point that God doesn't just fix hearts. He replaces them. He transplants that old heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And then he causes his spirit to come live inside uh, one of his own. And everything changes from that point on. Pointing to a second thing that I heard sort of woven through all six baptisms. And it's words from Jesus. And he said to us, just as he said to them, if anyone wants to come after me, and I'm going to guess uh, part of the reason you're here is be something that compels you to want to come after Jesus, to what he means there. Is anyone wants to pursue me? I, I do, and that's why I'm here, and that's, I assume, why you're here. At least you're somewhere in the continuum of uh, curious to really ready to commit. Somewhere in there, we all were, and uh, we all are. And you who aren't quite in the house yet, you're watching this unfold this morning. That's true, too. So Jesus said to you, to me, 
if anyone wants to come after me, here's what you need to do. You got to, well, it's not an easy task. You got to deny yourself. And that's something that we're not taught to do in this world we live in, right? It's celebrate yourself. You're the big deal. You're number one. You're the captain of your, and on and on it goes, right? But the Bible says something different. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross daily. And we can go into a lot of detail what that represents. But then he simplified it this way and made it accessible, I think. And follow me, Jesus said. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And um, I see that happening here. I like what was said about our role in that as well. When you uh, have a chance, hug somebody even if they're wet, all right? It's a good thing. So, Lord, we, we ask you to just frame a few more things here this morning in our time together. We ask for you to uh, take the, almost said for you to take the next step. You want to take that next step. Uh, cause us to want to let you lead on from here so that we would be fruit-bearing uh, disciples, followers of Jesus Christ in every way. So we, we thank you for the privilege of being here today. Um, thank you for who you are, Jesus. Um, make us better witnesses for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so I... Um, I've been thinking a lot about um, uh, the, the statements Jesus made about two questions that have always been in play. If you were to go back in the Gospels and spend some time there and examine some of the questions people would ask, you get a sense of these two questions. And these two questions are relevant even today. They're always on people's mind. In fact, I think it's going to be rare to meet someone that, that hasn't really sincerely asked one, if not both, of these questions. So the first question is, who is Jesus? Because this is all about Jesus. We, everything. Well, who is Jesus? That's a question of his identity, right? So there were lots of answers in that day. You want to go deeper, the sermon notes, the sort of devotional, it's a, it'll be a, an abbreviated message this morning, will take you to Matthew 16 in a great dialogue. You get to kind of eavesdrop on a dialogue Jesus had with his disciples in a place in uh, northern Galilee. It's called Caesarea Philippi. It's way up north at the foothills, right at the base of Mount Hermon. And it's a location that had great significance in the Old Testament and New for being a location of pagan worship. In the Old, Old Testament, great shrines to Baal, the false god. New Testament, it was Pan, an equally uh, empty demon god. You could, there's lots you could research on that, but I've summarized it for you. And bottom line, it was in this location Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. And he says to them, who do people say that I am? What's the, what's the talk on the street about the identity of me? 
And they answered in a variety of ways. Some thought John the Baptist, some thought Jeremiah, some thought Elijah the prophet. Um, they're, 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 they're guessing. But Jesus comes directly then to his 12, in particular Peter, and says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? What's your understanding, Jesus was saying, about my identity? And Peter answered, of course, well, you're the Messiah. You're the sent one of God. You are God, may I say it, in the flesh. And Jesus smiled. Keep in mind the setting. Why did I tell you about the setting? Because in a setting where there's all kinds of options, like our world today, in a setting where there's all kinds of wrong choices, bail and pan and you pick the God today. There's one true God, Jesus says, and he chose such a setting to say so. I am that God. You're correct, Peter. May everyone understand the identity of the one speaking. I am who I am. And more on that in a sec. The second question, <clears throat> especially if you take time to really ponder the first, who is Jesus? Then you go to the next sort of logical question, which is, why did, why did he come? Fair enough. That's a question not of identity, but of purpose, is it not? So why did Jesus come? It's got to be on the minds of many. Um, so I, comp I compiled. I thought, you know, I could just sit down here and tell you my answers to this. But I thought, no, let's let Jesus do the speaking, Okay. And here, I want you to, I'm just going to state uh, a couple of statements. These are all over the place, but they're, they, they stand out in the New Testament because they are self-descriptive statements Jesus made in answer to the question, who I am. Okay, so, and then, why did I come? So the first one is in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said, not hard to follow these words, I am the resurrection, and the life. He said that at a funeral. He said that when death was on everybody's mind and Jesus said, I, I am the one who lives past death. He hadn't given his life yet, and he hadn't been raised from, life, from, dead, from the dead yet, but that's who Jesus said. That's how he described himself, self-descriptive, John 11. I am the resurrection, and the life. Then a little bit later, he's having dinner with his disciples. And um, the very last night, he's with them. And uh, Jesus says, you know what, guys? I know you got that worried look on your face. And uh, clearly, there was a tone that something's about big is about to go down. And it's about to happen in their midst. And of course, it involved that night his arrest and trial and crucifixion. So Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going away, and I'm, I'm, I, I see the concern on your face, but here's the good news. I'm going to a place that I'm going to be preparing for you, that you can come there one day as well. And his disciples stopped chewing and looked up at him. They're having a meal together. And they said, um, Jesus said, and you know where I'm going, right? And, and Thomas spoke out, not, not really sure on that one, Lord. Tell us where you're going. Well, Jesus says, I, his answer, 
In John 14, 6, another identity statement. I am, he said, the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Then he says something that has relevance to everybody that has ever heard those words. No one comes to the Father in heaven where I'm going soon except through a relationship with me. Okay, we're, we're all together on that. So Jesus is answering, who am I? Well, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then comes kind of just weaving together a list of other statements, but these are about his purpose. Why did he come? Luke reports a conversation with Jesus where Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. So if you interviewed Jesus right now and said, hey, we just want to hear you, Jesus, Jesus would say, Luke 19, verse 10, I came, my purpose in coming was to seek and save. I was on a mission. I came with a specific targeted purpose to seek and save. And, I, and who are those people? They're lost. That's how everybody begins in this journey of life. We're lost. And Jesus says, well, I got good news for you. That's you're who I came for. I came seeking you. And I came for the purpose of saving you. Because that condition breaks my heart. I don't want you to be lost any longer. And then Mark includes uh, another statement by Jesus. In chapter 10, verse 40, 45, he says, The Son of Man, Jesus is speaking of himself, did not uh, came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. If you think of the word ransom, you almost always place it where I do. has to do with people in bondage, right? Somebody's been taken captive or prisoner, held against their will. And Jesus said, I came to actually serve and give my life to ransom them from that condition. And then you can't miss John's words. He records Jesus again saying about his purpose. I came uh, to give life abundantly. John 10, verse 10. So if you take all those things, compress them together, Jesus' identity is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. His purpose, why did he come? To actually give life. To, to touch people and transform their lives. So I'm going to ask you, we've just heard the testimony here, is that true of you? Have you said, okay, I've seen why, I, I, I get who you are a little bit, um, and I'm thinking I'm connecting why you came. Um, has, has, has that resulted in a change in you? Change of direction? A change of loyalty, a change of commitment, a change of priority. You're hearing change, change, change. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. 
Pastor Michael mentioned uh, words that are actually summary words in all four Gospels. At the end of all four Gospels, you come to some version of the Great Commission, it's known. Matthew's the most familiar to us. When Jesus stood in front of his disciples and a gathering of people, and he said, all authority has been granted to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, dial in here. This has the authority that is absolute for me to tell you this. Go and make disciples. Michael said correctly, as you're going through your life, living life, make disciples. And you're to baptize them, which we've watched this morning, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you're to add this, Jesus adds this, and teach them everything I've commanded you. Well, we've got it right here in our hands. And then he adds this, and lo, I will be with you always. You have my authority, all authority. You have my promise that I will be with you always uh, till the end of the age. Um, I want to tie this into this series just for a moment. We're doing a series on the book of Acts, In Step with the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, after 40 days of Jesus visiting with various people after his resurrection, He's about to, what the Bible describes, uh, be taken up. We use the word ascend. So if you were there on the hillside, Mount of Olives, you would have gone like that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the, the last recorded words of Jesus in the New Testament. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he, he stands there and he's saying this, to a, a crowd of silent, staring people. So picture the scene. They're gathered around Jesus. He's been making different appearances for, what's that, six weeks, 40 days? And here he is, about to be, they don't know it exactly right now, but he's about to be taken up. And then he says these final words to a silent, staring group of people. You will receive power, Acts 1.8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. I picture myself that in that scene a lot. You will receive power when the, and I can imagine him, he's, he's levitating, he's kind of going up off the ground by now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, powerful what, Lord? It might be my thinking. Power to be my witnesses. Where? Where? And he answers it. In Jerusalem, well, that's where we're standing. And in Judea, that's call that the county in which Jerusalem resided. It'd be like Marion County to Salem or something like that. And then he goes on, he says, and to Samaria, which is another county up north on your way to Galilee. And then he adds this, and to the farthest reaches of the, of the world, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And since that day, since that day in Jerusalem, the gospel 
has continued to spread far and wide um, to the present day. You know what? The, 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 the gospel is this. Jesus is saying, tell, tell people everywhere you go everything you know about me. That's it. There's no airports involved. There's no drive, drive and get away. I, I can tell you the answer in my case. I've been to many continents. I've been to many countries. And I go there invited to come and tell them about Jesus. I, I say yes to Africa or Taiwan or Honduras or Eastern Europe. It's, it's just, of course, who wouldn't say yes to an offer like that? You just come and tell us all you know. And what are they asking? Come and be his witness here. So I do. I'm not special. There's actually a whole class of people known as missionaries. You know what they do? They spend a career learning a language and a culture only to leave what they're familiar with and go to this unknown place for the purpose of being a witness. Uh, telling people who Jesus is and telling those same people why he came. It's great. It's great. Um, <clears throat> I want to bring it home for us now. So whether, I'm, I'm curious, how many of you have been on a missions trip? Oh, wow, cool. Um, how many have been, actually, would you call yourself a, any career missionaries that are, uh, have come home now? A few, yes, Mary, okay. So you went on a field, you came home, you're here now, um, and, and spent a life in missions, Okay. But here's the, here's the grabber. Um, you're, you're likely um, aware that the words spoken by Jesus um, in Jerusalem that day uh, to the utmost ends of the earth still applies to Tigard, Oregon, and Beaverton, and Sherwood, and Tualatin, and Happy Valley, and Vancouver, and on and on it goes today. You say, Pastor, how's that? Where, where are we supposed to go? Well, here's, here's one for you. Um, how many of you have a job? Okay. Okay. So that's a place. So as you're going, think of it as more than a job. Um, uh, how many of you uh, like live in a home or apartment? someplace okay pretty much everybody right so you've got you got home here's another one how many of you go to school or have kids that do or grandkids and all that? okay so school and there's a lot of hours during the day there and then and then um here's here's one the neighborhood i don't just mean your home i mean the street you live on the you know the, the place near you, the apartment complex. In each of those settings, he's saying, be my witnesses. 
They fit what, what the morning's about. Um, now, I want to I shock you a little bit, okay? Um, in every context that I've mentioned, I've mentioned four of them, all right? So you got, you got at work, you got at school, you got uh, in the neighborhood, and you've got at home. There's probably a lot more we could come up with. In every one of those settings, uh, the most impactful, authenticating factor. You ready for it? For you to be effective, impactful, is you. It's you, the sharer. It's... Um, it's how God gets a message out to people that people want to look closer at and think more carefully about. It's what person after person here could tell if we gave them more time. Who touched you? And I know the answer is Jesus. That's right. Who did he use is the, is the question I ask that, that I'm asking when I say, who touched you? It's, it's a mom. It's a dad. It's a youth leader. It's a, uh, it's a teacher. Um, it's somebody that knows Jesus and wants to help you know them. Uh, I thought of the Apostle Paul. Can we agree on something about him, a label that fits him? The greatest evangelist in history, the Apostle Paul. That would be my assessment of, of him, the great Apostle Paul. I want you to hear these words. These were letters he wrote to people and see if these are people he wanted to reach with the gospel. He wanted to be a witness. So he says to the Corinthian people when he wrote them this letter, he says, therefore be imitators of me. As I also am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Why is that? While you're digesting that, here's another. He wrote the, the church in Philippi, which is in ancient Greece, up in the northern part of the Aegean Sea there. It's a place I want to go someday. But he wrote the Philippian people, and he said this in chapter 4, verse 19. He says this, or verse 9, he says, The things you have heard and seen and observed in me. Ready for it? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. His life was in play. Um, I preach almost every Sunday for just 40 years, okay? So it's a big part of what I do. You know what I do before I preach? I come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I'm quoting those words to myself. They're tucked away in my heart. I've quoted them so much. But Paul says, and Pastor Steve's saying, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And when I was with you, I came with weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I was scared to death half the time. And my preaching and my teaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of one man, but on the power of the living God. Amen? Amen? That's what I'm after. I say to God, please get me out of the way. Even though I have really cool shoes I want you to notice today before you leave. But forget me. Remember him. He'll change your life. And that's always been true. Here's why. Don't just share the good news. Be good news. Christians, be good news. And people are like, whoa. We heard it in little people testimonies today. That they're not, they're bold as lions. Um, big personalities. Um, don't just share good news. That's going to change their life, but you're going to help them believe it if you are good news. Amen? I think that's so true. Because at some level they're going, I want to be like you. And then you get to go, well, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm, I got warts and all. But I belong to the King of Kings, who's making me new every day, who um, loves me, loved me the day I met him, and it was, I was dirty. But he loved me too much to leave me dirty. He says, I got the soap. I'll scrub you clean, dude. I'll make you brand new. New heart, new life. Um, and you know this to be true, but people don't really care. They don't really care how much you know. They don't. Until. What? They don't care how much you know. I could share with you the gospel in five or six different ways right now. Romans, Romans Road, parallel lines, four spiritual laws. It goes on and on. I could do that. They don't, no one, I don't have an audience for that. How much I know until they know how much I care. Um, and um, this is so serious, I want to quote Brennan Manning, who uh, spoke some words a long time ago that um, I just... I think they explain uh, the importance of how we live when it comes to sharing the gospel, whether it's young people, Jerusalem, Judea, your neighborhood, your work, whatever, school. But these, if, you, if you're not paying attention to how you're walking and living, these words are painfully in play. The, he quote, quoting Manning, the greatest single cause of atheism, atheism in the world today is Christians. who acknowledge Jesus with their lips. And we do that a lot. They acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. 
Um, so last Sunday was Mother's Day and brought into focus the influence of, um, I'm going to say, most of our stories. Not, not every, there's exceptions. But <clears throat> um, many stories are about a mom and, uh, who shared good news and thankfully she lived good news to her kids. So it's a week late, but it's never untimely to tell you thanks, moms, and yeah, and and um, and dads. It's not limited to moms. Um, I came across a conversation. It was a true story of two guys that went to hear a lecturer who was a avowed agnostic, and he these were college students. And <clears throat> they went, um, and, and the lecturer was uh, a guy named Robert Ingersoll, and he was known to be a guy that could pretty much destroy people's faith. He was convincing. So these two guys, these students, were listening to it, um, and he told why he refused to believe in God, Ingersoll did. And... Um, the lecture was done. And they left this big lecture hall, and um, these two guys carried on a conversation as they left. And uh, one said to the other, I quote, I guess he sure knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? Like, how do you respond to that? The other replied, no, no, that's not how it hit me, not at all. You see, he didn't explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's Lord. Amen? So all of this, of course, describes more than moms. I just wanted to tell you that to make up for last week. But more than that, I wanted to tell you moms... I, it's meaningful to me. I connected the dots. I think we're all supposed to connect. Is the influence of moms, dads, parents or persons, it doesn't matter, um, who share the good news as they live the good news. Let's do that. Let's be that people. Um, I'm going to invite a woman that um, leads us in worship weekly to come join me right now, Krista our own Krista Westfall, who uh, recently had a really terrific experience. I think I can hand you this mic. Belongs to the lady that leads us. Oh, that's you. Okay, so. Um, but Krista, first of all, congratulations on Gracie. That Thank was you. Very cool. Very, very cool. You and Michael. And, um, but you, um, you stood in front of a crowd of people and told about Somebody that um, uh, just just that kind of person that didn't just share good news but lived good news, and I I thought just here at the end because it's so timely, and it's it's fresh, and it's uh, it's a personal story that you could just take a sec and uh, kind of you know draw us in, retell that person's influence and in your life, would you? 
last, not last week, but the week before, um, I got to fly down to California and be at my dad's um, celebration of retirement. Uh, he retired, his retirement year was, was the year of COVID, but um, they had to hold everything off for a couple years to have the big hurrah, right? So um, even though we all got COVID anyway, so. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. I brought that back, so. Um, <laughs> but um, we were all down there getting to celebrate. Uh, my dad is an amazing man of God, and he, we always joked and said that he was a youth pastor because he was a junior high teacher for 41 years. Um, and so people would ask me, like, what, what does your dad do? And I'm like, oh, he's a coach, like, for life, you know? <laughs> like, and he was just, he's just, he's an amazing man. And everybody loves him. Like, when you walk onto the campus, they call him Mr. Etiwanda. Um, Etiwanda's the town I grew up in. And, and he grew up in, and his dad grew up in, and his dad, so, you know. But, um, like, kids just flock to him. Like, you, you can't get near him because he's always got at least, like, 10 or 12 kids just like, Mr. Duffy, Mr. Duffy, Mr. Duffy, you know. And, um, and he, he, he just loved God, and he loved people so well. And so kids just wanted to be in his presence because he, they knew that he would hear them, see them, listen to them. Um, ask them good questions, check up on things that are going on in their lives. He knew their families, he knew their siblings, he knew, I mean, he could tell you, I, there was not a day in my life that went by that my dad didn't talk about a student, uh, and I knew them. Like, I would run into them in public and be like, oh, you're blah, blah, blah. Like, my dad's talked about you at the dinner table, and, like, I knew about their lives because he cared. Um, and that's how Jesus is, right? Like, the kids would just flock around him, and just because he gave them that presence and that time and that attention. So, Fast forward, we're celebrating his life at this at this banquet, um, big dinner. Actually, the whole gym was full, the gymnasium that he worked in for 42 years, mm. for 41 years. And um, we're all around. And, it, again, this is a public school, like, and it's California, so you're not allowed to talk about Jesus at all. And every single person that got up to speak about my dad talked about Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally the superintendent, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> The superintendent's, like, getting a little squirmy, and you can tell he's, like, but it didn't matter. Like, everybody had to get up and say something about how, about Jesus and about how he impacted their lives and how they came to know Jesus because of my dad. Um, not a single person could, couldn't say that. And um, then afterwards, we all got to go next door and have, you know, a great time um, having dinner and everything. And more people kept getting up to share their stories. And the whole night, it was testimony after testimony after testimony, and people are crying and laughing, and, like, it's all about Jesus, and um, the one that stuck out to me the most uh, was my good friend, Sherry Fucher, uh, who babysat me as a kid. She got up there, and she shared her testimony, and I knew a little bit about it, but she um, boldly proclaimed in front of the whole district about how she came to school one day, and my dad looked at her and knew something was off. And that she wasn't okay. She was going through a really dark season at home and in her life. And my dad asked, called a sub from the office and said, I need somebody to come down and watch my classroom for a moment. He took her outside, opened his Bible, and, like, shared the gospel with her Amen. and changed her life. Yeah. And she was about to go home and commit suicide that day. Wow. She had a whole plan laid out and saved her life. And now this woman is happily, beautifully married with a beautiful family, and she's a teacher, and she's changing lives every day, sharing the gospel. So, <laughs> yeah, so there's, like, such a ripple effect. And um, 
I'm just, I'm so proud. My dad led me to Christ when I was seven, and there's been a ripple effect in my life and in the lives of my children and my husband and everybody I get to meet because of my dad. So um, I just want to challenge us as a body. Um, we're going to end with one last song. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do submit. I do. Believe it or not, I know I'm feisty, but he's in charge. <laughs> um, I'm like, uh, so we're going to do No Longer Slaves because um, I know that we're not supposed to share about the gospel or if we're told you can't share, you know, in the schools or you can't share here, you can't share there, especially in Portland. People are like, it's so weird. And there is no better time than now for people to hear the good news. And if you hear anything that I'm saying today, I'm just trying to encourage you as a person, like you know him, he's changed your life. You have something to share um, by how you love people in the grocery store. If you see somebody in the grocery store, like on an aisle and they're mm -hmm. just sort of like lingering there, I don't think so. Like get over there. Like that, you know what I'm saying? Like if somebody can't find the olives or something, like that's an invitation to be Jesus. Like all the time, Kelly knows, like I take Kelly everywhere <laughs> I go. And she can't, we can't get like five feet without sharing the gospel with somebody. Um, but you know, like get the olives for that person. If you're tall, that's a gift from God. You bless them by giving them that can of olives and then you <laughs> share the Jesus with them. You know what? I got something better than olives, you know? <laughs> And uh, I, I just want to encourage us. It's like the harvest is ripe. People are coming to God all over the place. And it's up to us to be the harvesters. So. Um, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to sing about. We're going to sing. No longer slaves. No longer slaves. the worship team. Worship too. team, come on up. And as they do, uh, Philippians 4.9, the things you've heard and seen and observed in me. And I'm going to apply that to your dad. Yeah. And not only your life when you were seven. Uh, but in many lives, uh, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What a great vision for us as we go uh, to spend time with people that are enslaved to sin. And we have great news for them, don't we? So let's stand together. We're going to be led in this last song and wrap up our morning, uh, wonderful morning together. Thanks, you guys. Awesome.